Good morning. And it's good to see you. And, and let me just share with you, for some of y'all that wonder what happens at our school, when we had Spiritual Emphasis Week two weeks ago, we had 20-plus middle schoolers give their hearts to Jesus. And it, it was just incredible seeing them. Amen. You need to clap on that. And, and understand, we didn't make it easy for them. I mean, we, we asked them to raise their hands, stand up in the midst of the crowd, and then stay when everybody else went to the room, if they really meant business with God. And so um, it's neat to see God work in people's lives. This morning, we're concluding our series, Toxic Attitudes, Attitudes That Poison Us and Then Destroy Us from the Inside Out. And over the last five weeks, we've looked at some of the most serious toxic attitudes. We, we, we looked at insecurity. And we discovered that the antitoxin for insecurity is, is finding our identity in Christ. When we know who we are in Christ, it will help us with our insecurities. When you be continually belittle yourself and put yourself down, you haven't discovered that you're fearfully and wonderfully made and you're special in God's eyes. So we talked about insecurity. And then we talked about envy. And the antitoxin for envy is contentment. Being content with who we are, what we have, where we live, all of those things like that. And then we moved on to anger. And the antitoxin for anger is peace. Letting the peace of God dwell in you. And when the peace of God dwells in you, then you will discover that it's much easier to live at peace with other people once God's peace is living within you. And then last week, we talked about Bitterness, that, that root that just literally destroys us, as, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12. And we discovered that the antitoxin for bitterness is experiencing God's grace in our life and then expressing God's grace to others. First, we have to experience it before we can ever express it. I can never give forgiveness to someone else until I've experienced the forgiveness of God in my life. But this morning, I want us to deal with the, the original sin, the original toxic attitude, the one that was before all other toxic attitudes, and that's the toxic attitude of pride. And pride is something we all struggle with. I heard about this one young lady that, that went to confessional in the Catholic church. And, and as she was sitting in the confessional booth, she said to the Catholic priest, she said, I, I've got to confess that I've got sin in my life. I struggle with pride. Every time I look in the mirror, I just think how beautiful I am. And the priest said, sweetie, that's not sin. That's a mistake. Pride. Pride. I heard about this pastor. He's an old country pastor, and, and he and his wife had a, a little farm, had some chickens and had some pigs, some things like that. And, and they'd been married for about 35 years, and one day his wife was gone, and he went into closet, her closet to look for something. And, and he found this box that he had never seen before. He opened the box, and, and inside the box was an egg carton with five eggs in it and $10,000 rolled up, $100 bills, $10,000 of $100 bills. You can imagine. He was wondering, what in the world? Five eggs, $10,000. And so when his wife got home, he said, Honey, I was looking for something in your closet, found this box, had the egg carton in it with the five eggs and $10,000. What in the world is this? And she said, Oh, when we got married 35 years ago, I decided that whenever you preached a bad sermon, I was going to go out to the hen house and I was going to get an egg and, and I was going to put it in the egg carton. The little country pastor got kind of proud. 
35 years been preaching. There's only five eggs in that egg cart. He felt good about himself. And he said, well, that, that explains the eggs. But what about the $10,000? She said, oh, whenever, every time that there were 12 eggs, I would sell the eggs. <laughs> pride, pride. I heard about these two ducks and this frog who were best friends. Don't ask me how. They were just best friends. And, and every day they would go out on the pond and the farm and they would just play. The, the ducks would swim around. The frog would hop around and, and swim around. And they had a great time on that pond playing all day long until one summer there was a drought and the pond was drying up. Well, the ducks, it was easy for them to fly to the other side of the, the farm to another pond. But for the frog, that was a long way for him to hop to the other side. And, and so they were trying to figure out how can we all get to the pond on the other side of the farm. And, and the frog came up with this ingenious idea. He said, you two ducks find a stick, you put the stick in your bill, and then I will hold on to the stick with my mouth, and y'all can fly me to the pond on the other side of the farm. And they all thought that was a great idea. So the ducks went and got the, the stick, put the stick in the bill. The, the frog grabbed a hold of the stick with his mouth and, and took off. Well, the farmer looked up and he saw these two ducks flying with a stick in their mouth with a frog hanging onto the stick. And the farmer said, man, that's really a creative idea. I wonder who came up with it. And the frog said, I did. <laughs> oh, me. Well, that was funny. But pride is never funny. It's never funny. Spurgeon said this, the great preacher. He said, there is no vice which is more frequently, more emphatically, and more eloquently condemned in Scripture. Did you get that? There is no vice that is more frequently, more emphatically, and more eloquently condemned in Scripture. C.S. Lewis, that, that great author who was an agnostic, became a Christian, wrote a number of books, wrote the book Mere Christianity. This is what he said about pride. He said it is a great sin, the essential sin, the mother of all sins, utmost evil. It comes directly from hell. He goes on and he says every other sin is a mere flea bite in comparison. And then he says this. He says as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. Wow. Now let me say that again. As long as you are proud... You cannot know God. Augustine, who was, who was a church leader in the 4th century, years and years and years ago, said that pride was the father of all sins. Now, before we go any further, let me just kind of fill you in on pride a little bit because there is acceptable pride and then there is unacceptable pride. For instance, to have a good self-image, to have a healthy self-esteem, that's acceptable pride. To think, to think well of yourself. Because God doesn't want us to look in the mirror and go, Boy, man, I'm the ugliest person since sliced bread. Woe is me. I can't do anything. I'm so dumb. God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to feel good about ourselves. And so a healthy self-esteem, a healthy self-image is not the pride that God condemns. Being competitive isn't the pride that God condemns. Some people think that if you're, you're competitive, then you're full of pride. But some of the most competitive people I know are also some of the most humble 
people I know. So being competitive is not the pride that the Bible condemns. Neither is receiving honor the pride that God condemns. Some people have this unusual idea that that if someone wants to honor you and you receive that honor, then you must be full of pride. But the Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due. And so it's nothing wrong to honor those people who you want to honor, and it's nothing wrong to receive that honor from other people. Here's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6. He said, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And that's pretty logical, isn't it? If somebody thinks they're something when they're nothing, they deceive themselves. But then Paul went on to say this. He said, each one of us should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. Did you get that? You should judge your actions. And then as you judge your actions, you can take pride in who you are, what you've done without comparing yourself to other people. And so you need to understand that the Bible teaches that there is a healthy pride. There's nothing wrong with healthy pride. And so what is this toxic pride? What is the pride that God condemns? Well, biblically, pride that God condemns is an attitude of independence from God. It's an attitude of independence from God. It is a desire to be our own God. To live life our own way, to to call our own shots, to make our own rules. Augustine said this. He said, the root of pride is found in man not being subject to God and his rule. The root of pride is found in man, mankind, not willing to be subject to God and God's rule for our life. Pride causes us to say Pride causes us to say things like, I'm a good person. Pride leads us to believe that somehow, someway, we can impress God with with what we do or how we live. In reality, it is pride that causes us to believe that that we're the center of the universe. that, That our wishes, our desires, our wants should come before everyone else's. And so where did pride originate? Where did it begin Where did it have its ugly origins? Well, understand, pride didn't begin on planet Earth. It may surprise you to to come to realize that pride had its beginnings in heaven. I want you to turn with me to Ezekiel 28. And the reason I want you to turn there is because this is a passage that you're going to need to mark in your Bible. In Ezekiel 28, Ezekiel is talking about someone who is called the king of Tyre. As he begins the chapter, he is talking about the prince of Tyre. But when we get to verse 12, he begins to talk about the king of Tyre. And as we read this passage, it becomes very clear that he's not talking about an earthly king. I want you to listen to what he says. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, This is what the sovereign Lord says. You are the model of perfection, full of wisdom, Perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Ruby, topaz, emeralds, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. 
You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you. O guardian cherub from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Now as you begin to read that, it becomes apparent that he isn't talking about an earthly king. He describes a guardian cherub. Now cherub were a type of angel. And so he's talking about a type of angel. And this is a guardian cherub. The guardian cherubs were created to guard the very holiness of God. It says that this guardian cherub was perfect in his beauty, a model of perfection, full of wisdom. We are told that he was on the mount of God. He lived in the very presence of God. We are told that he was in the garden of God, Eden. So whoever this is was in Eden. But then, but then... He became proud in his heart and he rebelled against God and he was expelled from heaven. Now, I want you to understand something that is very important. This is describing none other than Satan. You see, Satan hasn't always been Satan. Satan wasn't created evil. Satan wasn't created to be the tempter of all mankind. No. Satan was created as a guardian cherub, the most beautiful, the most wise, the most powerful of all the created beings. But his beauty and his power and his splendor and his wisdom began to go to his head. And he began to think to himself, I don't want to worship God anymore. I want to be God. He became proud in his heart and he rebelled against God. And because he rebelled, he was expelled from heaven. He was cast down out of heaven. Now, Exodus chapter 14 describes this same event from Isaiah's perspective. And I want you to listen to what Isaiah says beginning in verse 12. He says, How have you fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Now don't miss this. Ezekiel tells us that his pride began in his heart. And that's where pride always begins. Understand, pride doesn't begin in our minds as we look at the facts and we rationalize those facts and we make decisions. No, pride begins in our heart when we begin to say things like, I want to be my own master, I want to be my own boss, I want to be my own God. Jesus said this. He said that it was in the heart from which all sinful thoughts and pride originates. And so we see this pride bubbling up in Lucifer, Satan's heart, and he began to think, I can become God. 
And then notice the five statements he made. He said, I will ascend. I will raise my throne. I will sit enthroned. I will ascend. I will make myself like the most high God. You see, Lucifer, Satan, felt like he could do a better job than God. So he rebelled against God, but it didn't turn out the way he expected. And understand, whenever we rebel against God, it's never going to turn out the way we expect. Because there is no way that the created can ever have the upper hand on the creator. It is foolish, it is futile for you and I who were created beings to rebel in pride against the one who created us. I can't remember the movie. Years ago, I saw a movie, one of the movies I like. I'm not into the chick flicks like Scott is. Um, I, I like the action movies. That wasn't a dig. He, Scott just likes the chick flicks. He, he can tell you about them. But, but this was an action movie. This was an action movie. And, and they were fighting, and, and the teacher was fighting his student. The student was coming trying to kill his teacher. And the student with pride said, don't forget You've taught me everything you, or you've taught me everything I know. And the teacher said, that's right. I taught you everything you know, but not everything I know. And we need to understand that's the way it is with God. Regardless of the gifts, regardless of the abilities, regardless of how God has created us, regardless of how wise we may think we are, we are the created, we are the creator. And so here was Satan. He rebelled against God. He wanted to rule his own life. And so he rebelled. And the Bible says he was cast down. So that's where pride began. But that's not where it ends. Because the Bible tells us when God created man, he placed them in a, in a perfect home. He gave man the perfect mate. He gave man the perfect job. He said, I want you to rule over and subdue the earth. And then he gave him perfect fellowship. God literally came to Eden and walked and talked with man. Wow. Can you imagine that? Here you are. You're placed in a beautiful, perfect place. You're given a perfect spouse. You're given a perfect job. And God comes down and fellowships face to face with you. That's what Adam and Eve had. But one day, Satan came on the scene and he began to tempt Adam and Eve. And he tempted them in the same way that he was tempted. You see, Satan wanted to be God. And so the way he tempted Adam and Eve is that they could become God. Adam and Eve were told there was one thing they couldn't do. With all the beauty they had, there was just one thing they couldn't do. They couldn't eat fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And you can say, why couldn't they do that? There are different opinions on that. But the bottom line is God's God, isn't he? God can tell you to do whatever he wants you to do. Amen? And so God said, I don't want you to eat from the fruit of this one tree. If you do it, trust me, you're going to die. Well, so Satan came to Adam and Eve and said, you know why God doesn't want you to eat the fruit from that tree? You know? You know why? God knows that if you eat the fruit from this tree, you're going to become just like him. You're going to become God. And so Adam and Eve looked at the fruit and they saw it was pleasing to the eyes. It had the ability to make one wise or so they thought. And so they disobeyed what God said. They rebelled against God. They wanted to be their own God because of pride. And they sinned against God. And in the end, what happened? They were cast out of paradise. 
That's why we need to understand that, that, that pride is never an, an intellectual response. It's a heart response. Atheism. Atheism isn't a response from a person who has rationalized and come to the realization that there isn't a God. It's not. Atheism is the result of the heart. It says in Psalm chapter 10, verse 4, In his pride, the wicked does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for him. In other words, the person who doesn't have God in their life, the reason they don't is because they haven't sought him. Because the Bible says you will find him when you seek for him and search for him with all your heart. I mean, God just tells us, listen to me, whoever you are today, hear my heart. God says, when you seek for me and search for me with all your heart, you will find me. And so God says, whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, if you really seek after me, I'm going to reveal myself to you. And so if a person will seek God, they will find God. But the fact of the matter is, the wicked person doesn't have room for God in their life, so what do they do? They try to rationalize God out of their life. God doesn't exist. If God doesn't exist, then I can be my own God. I can be the ruler of my own life. I can be the maker of my own decisions. I can be the one who decides what's right and what's wrong. That's pride. Because of pride, Satan was cast out of Heaven, because of pride, Adam and Eve were kicked out of paradise. And because of pride, you and I deserve death. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Listen, pride always leads to a fall. It always will. The greatest enemy to your spiritual life is pride. Pride had its origins in heaven. It made its way to earth. And somehow, some way, it's infected each and every one of us. So it shouldn't surprise us that the Bible says in the last days, there will be a revival of pride. You say, Rocky, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says that in the last days, man will become more and more proud. And remember, pride is living our life independent of God. That's biblically what pride is. So in the last days, mankind will seek to live his life more and more independent of God. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. It goes on and on. But did you see those two words? Boastful, proud. In the last days, people will become more and more proud. Hear my heart. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I don't know when the end of life as we know it is going to take place. But I do know this. I believe it's soon. I really do. I, I believe that there are many of us who are sitting in this room today who will not taste death before Jesus comes back. Could I be wrong? Absolutely. I might be wrong. And I'm not trying to give you a date because no one can give you a date. I'm just telling you that the signs are everywhere. More and more, people are living their life independent of God. I don't need God. I don't want God. Get behind me, God. I don't want you in my life. I want to be my own master, my own boss. I want to make my own decisions, call my own shots, decide right and wrong. That's where we're living. 
Now, to understand, pride is deceptive. It causes us to look through life with a faulty lens. Do you remember the old children's story, The Emperor's New Clothes? Do you remember that story? In that story, there was an emperor who was very proud, arrogant, and he, he put out the word that he wanted a tailor to make him the most beautiful suit in the entire kingdom. And so a tailor came to him and said, I have got the most beautiful fabric you have ever seen, and I can make you a suit from this fabric. And the tailor picked up his hands and held his hands like this. But there was nothing in his hands. There never was anything in his hands. But the tailor said, this is special fabric. No one can see this fabric but someone with a pure heart. King, you see the fabric, don't you? You see it, don't you? And the king said, oh, yes. It's beautiful. I want you to go and make me a suit from that fabric. And so the tailor left. He didn't need to make a suit because there was no fabric. He went to Starbucks, drank a couple of lattes, came back several days later, and he said, I've got your suit. And so the king took off his clothes, and he put on what he thought was a suit of clothes, but he was standing there naked. We're from the south, naked. And he called all of his servants in and he said, look at my new suit. You can only see it if you're pure of heart. And everyone looked, but all they saw was a naked king. But they were proud too. So they went, whoa, it's beautiful. It's more beautiful than any suit I've ever seen. And the king got more and more proud. And, and one day he decided, I'm going to show everybody in the kingdom my suit. And so he got on his chariot and he went out to the streets, stark naked, walking around, riding around in his chariot, showing everybody everything, <laughs> proud of his suit. And everybody, because they knew that the king had said that those who are pure in heart can see it. So everybody was going, oh, it's beautiful. Until one little boy said, what are y'all talking about? The king's naked. He ain't got no clothes. You see, that's what pride will cause us to do. Stupid things. Pride is deceptive. It causes us to believe that we're in this beautiful suit when we're walking around absolutely naked. That's what pride does to us. I want you to look at two verses. Jeremiah 49 verse 16 says, The terror you inspire and the pride of your heart have deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks, who occupy the heights of the hills, though you build your nest as high as the eagles, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Obadiah 1.3 is talking about the same people and he says this, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and made your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down? Both those passages are talking about the Edomites. They were a, a race of people who had literally built their city in the clefts of the rocks. They had built a city that was made inside the mountainside. They dug out the mountain and made homes there. And then they took a wall and they protected the front of the city. 
And so on one side, you had a mountain with the homes and the people in the mountain, in the homes. And then on the front, the only way you could get in was this massive wall. And oh yeah, the, the, the city was built at the top of the mountain. It was virtually impenetrable, or so they thought. God said, your pride has deceived you. You think you can't be destroyed. Watch out. You're going to be destroyed. Pride will deceive. It's been said that Muhammad Ali, when he was on a, a, a plane one time, he was walking down the aisle of the plane, he was signing autographs, he was basking in all the, you know, the, the, his, the pride, the adulation of the people, and just getting full of pride. And, and the stewardess came to him and said, um, Mr. Ali, you need to get in your seat and put your seatbelt on because we're about to take off. And Muhammad Ali looked at the stewardess and said, Superman don't need a, tr- a seat. And the stewardess said, Superman don't need a plane either. Get in your seat, put your seatbelt on. That's what pride does to us. Pride makes us think we're invincible. It makes us think we're indestructible. It makes us think we can do anything and everything. And that's just not true. Pride not only deceives us into thinking we're more capable than we are, it deceives us into thinking we're better than we are. Do you remember the story of the Pharisee and the the tax collector? Both of them went to the temple. The story is found in Luke 18. Both of them went to the temple, and and the Pharisee, when he was in the temple, he looked and he saw the tax collector over there. And he said, oh, Lord, thank you that I'm not as bad as he is. I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this. He was filled with what? Pride. Self-righteous pride. But the tax collector was over there with his face in the ground saying, oh, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one do you think God heard? He certainly didn't hear the self-righteous, proud man. He heard the one that in humility was calling out to God. Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist, said this. He said, through pride, we are ever deceiving ourselves. But deep down, below the surface of the average conscious, a still small voice says to us, something is out of tune. In other words, our pride causes us to deceive ourselves into thinking we're better than we are, we're more capable than we are, we're more moral than we are, we're more spiritual than we are. But deep down inside, if we dig deep enough, we know that something's not right. We can't put our finger on it. We don't understand what it is, but we look at our life and and when we get past the facade and we get past the emperor's clothes... We realize something's just not right in my kingdom. You see, pride causes us to live like we're the king of our world. I don't need you, God. I don't want you, God. You don't have a right to tell me what to do, God. Because, God, I I know better than you know. I'm smarter than you are. You see, pride causes us to... To live that way toward God. Now, now some of you, some of you are saying today, I would never do that. But hear me and look at me. Unless you are completely submitted to the will of God, the way of God, and the word of God, you are living in pride. Unless you are completely submitted to the will of God for your life, the way that God has for you, and his word, you are living with pride. Pride. Because understand, 
If there's an area of my life that this word tells me to do something, God says I should do something, and I don't do it, either I am just a flat-out rebel and I'm proud, or I think, you know, I, I, God doesn't know my situation. I know it better than God does. And so, God, I'm going to make this call because I know better than you. And that's pride, isn't it? And you say, but Rocky, I don't do that. This isn't talking about me. Okay, okay, all right. Well, let's just give a couple of examples. What about when it comes to relationships? God's Word says a whole lot about relationships, doesn't he? I mean, a whole lot. And we're not going to go into details. I don't want to hurt any more than we already hurt at times. But, but there are many of us that in our relationships, we say things like, well, God wants me to be happy. Or God doesn't know my situation. He doesn't? Wow, the, the, the last time I checked, he knew all. He knew everything. And so we say things like that. God just doesn't know my situation. You know, if he knew my situation, then he would understand the decisions I'm making. That's pride. It's pride. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm going to be honest. Hear me. If, for instance, in relationships, if we get a divorce for any reason other than the biblical reason of adultery, habitual adultery, we're saying to God, God, I know my situation better than you do. Bottom line. You say, that's harsh. No, that's God. And for us to sit back and arrogantly say, well, I don't care what God says, whoa, that's scary pride. Let me give you another example. God's word makes it clear how we are to live in regard to stewardship, doesn't it? I mean, the tithe is is to be the minimum that I give as an obedient believer. And, and tithing causes me to learn how to live trusting God with my life. But did you know that, that statistics say that less than 2% of Christians tithe? Less than 2%? Wow. So what that means is 98% of people who call themselves Christians say, I know better than God. God's not going to tell me how to manage my money. Now, now listen. Let's be honest. Let's just chat. Let's don't put up our defenses. I mean, if God says something, and then I decide I'm not going to do what God says, that shows that I'm living in what? Pride. I know better than God. And we can apply that to any area of our lives. And so please hear me. This is something we struggle with. And until we get to that point in our life where we want to submit to God's will and God's word completely in our life, our pride has deceived us. But pride isn't only deceptive. Pride is divisive. Proverbs 13 verse 10 says, Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Every argument, every fight, every war has been rooted in pride. We, we become angry when our agenda, our methods, our thoughts are challenged. We believe that we always have the best way. Do you have the tendency to get upset when someone ever questions something you say? You have a boss like that? I mean, you, you say, hey, are you sure? What? Wait a second, I don't think I heard what you just said. What'd you say? 
You say, well, is there perhaps a better way that we can do this? Excuse me? A better way than, than what I've come up with? Are you kidding me? That's pride. And what does pride do? Pride divides, doesn't it? It divides homes. It divides churches. It, it divides countries. Pride is divisive. Pride is detestable. God hates it. Proverbs 16, verse 5 says, The Lord detests all the pride of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. The King James says it is an abomination to God. God hates it. Proverbs 6 Verses 16 and 17 says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. And the very first one is a proud look. Understand, God hates pride more than anything else in our lives. Did you hear me? God hates pride more than adultery. God hates pride more than drunkenness. God hates pride more than, than thievery. God hates pride more than murder. God hates pride more than any sin. Why? Because like C.S. Lewis said, it's the mother of all sins. When we become pride and think that we can live our lives better than God says we can live our life, that's pride. And pride then gives birth to every other sin in our life. And pride will lead to our downfall. Second Chronicles 26, verse 16, it says, But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Proverbs 18 says, Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. Nebuchadnezzar is a perfect picture of this. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. He was the king that, that came in and, and, um, and overthrew Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple, and he led the first wave of Jews into captivity, into Babylon. And he took the best, the brightest, the most intelligent of the young people into Babylon. And he took with him Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. We read about them in, in, Daniel's, in, in Daniel's book in, in the Old Testament. But Daniel was um, an incredible political leader. He was also an incredible domestic leader. He, he is credited with um, building the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which is one of the um, seven wonders of the ancient world. He was an incredible man. But in Daniel's book, Daniel tells us that one day Nebuchadnezzar went out and he was looking at his kingdom and he got all full of himself. He said, I am somebody. I'm bigger than God. And God said, uh-oh, <laughs> you messed up. And God struck him down. God caused him to go absolutely start craving mad. And for a season of his life, we don't know how long, but for a season of his life, Nebuchadnezzar, this great king, this military domestic leader, lived like a wild animal out in the wilderness. He went that crazy. But when he came to his senses, I want you to listen to what he said in Daniel 4, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Because everything he does is right. And all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Amen? Nebuchadnezzar realized that. Well, Nebuchadnezzar died, a new king came into Babylon, and, and as Daniel was meeting with this new king, he was telling this new king about what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And listen to what it says. 
in Daniel chapter 5. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne, stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys, ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them any one he wishes. Did you get that? He lived like a crazy man until he finally admitted, God's God and I'm not. Now hear me. That will always happen to the proud. It may not happen immediately. It may not even happen on this side of eternity. But all of those who live with this proud spirit of independence from God will one day be brought low, just like Nebuchadnezzar. And pride will ultimately destroy us. In Proverbs 16, verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. I want you to listen to what it says in Isaiah 2. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted and they will be humbled. Now, what day is he talking about? He's talking about the day of judgment. You see, there is coming a day when everyone will stand before God and give an account. And everyone who is proud and who has tried to live their life independent of God will one day stand before God and give an account of their life. We all will. And he tells us that on that day, those who have said, I am my own God, I'm going to make my own decisions, I'm going to do it my way, I don't care what God says, I don't care what his word says, God says that on that day they will be brought low. On that day, they will be brought low. So pride is this destructive thing that not only can destroy our lives here on planet earth, but, but can lead us into a Christless eternity in a place called hell. So what do we do? What is the antitoxin for pride? Well, what we have to do is we have to change the lens that we're looking through. We've got to change the lens that we're looking through at God. We've got to change the lens we're looking through at ourselves. We've got to change the lens we're looking through at our circumstances. And when we change our lens and we begin to look at things from God's perspective, all of a sudden, our pride will begin to take care of itself. In Jeremiah, there's a passage I want to read to you that's not in your note sheet, but it's Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Listen to what it says. It's pretty profound. It says, this is what the Lord says. Don't let wise people brag about their wisdom. Don't let strong people brag about their strength. Don't let rich people brag about their riches. If they want to brag, they should brag that they understand and know me. Wow. We brag about the wrong things, don't we? How smart I am. How strong I am. How wealthy I am. And God says all those things can be taken away in an instant. You can lose all your money tomorrow morning when the stock market closes or opens. You can go to the doctor tomorrow morning and find out that you have some kind of disease that robs your muscles of their strength. You can, you can get Alzheimer's and, and all the things that you thought you knew. You don't know them anymore. 
I mean, and so God says, don't brag about those kind of things because those things, they're fleeting, they're passing, they're going to disappear. If you're going to brag about anything, brag about the fact that you know me and that you understand me. And then he says that I, the Lord, act out of love and righteousness and justice. You see, the only hope for our self-centered living is for us to humble ourselves before God and receive Him. That's why it says in James, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to who? The humble. A person that sits back and says, I'm going to do it my way, they're never going to experience God's grace. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says the same thing. It says God opposes the proud, but He gives His grace to the humble. That's what God does. We've got to come to that point in our life where we go... I, I don't want to be God. I, I, don't, I, I don't have the resume for it. I'm going to mess things up. Every time I try to be God, I, I mess it up. God, I'm tired of trying to be God. And when we humble ourselves before God, He ceases to stand in opposition to Him. And He pours out His grace upon us. You see, the reason that some of us have never experienced God's grace in a life-changing way is because we're living arrogantly toward God. God, when I need you, I'll call on you. And when we've got a tough thing going on, we call him. We expect him to be there at the drop of a hat. We do that. Or we just live our life totally independent of God and say, God, I can handle this. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a good person. I'm not, I'm not as bad as those people. God, I, I've got this handled. I don't need the cross. I don't need your grace. I'm okay. God resists the proud. But when we come to that point where we realize our best is never good enough, and we realize that whenever we try to run our life our way, we mess it up, and we humble ourselves before God, and, I mean, we literally fall before God in a broken heap, and we say, God, I'm tired of playing God. And we call upon him. He gives grace to us. And he changes us. In Philippians chapter 2, a passage that's a perfect picture of, of humility, which is really the antitoxin to, to pride. It says this in one translation. Don't be jealous or proud, but be humble. Consider others more important than yourselves. Care about them as much as you care about yourselves. And, and think the same way that Christ Jesus thought. Christ was truly God. But he did not try to remain equal with God. Instead, he gave up everything and became a slave when he became like one of us. Christ was humble. He obeyed God and even died on the cross. Then God gave Christ the highest place and honored his name above all names. So at the name of Jesus, everyone will bow down. Those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth. And to the glory of God and the Father, everyone will openly agree Jesus Christ is Lord. Did you hear that? There's coming a day where everyone will agree. I'm not God. Jesus is. It's coming that day. Every Muslim, every Hindu, every Buddhist, every atheist, every agnostic, every other person who believes anything and everything out there other than in the name of Jesus, one day they're going to look at the throne and they're going to see Jesus seated on the throne and they're going to go, Jesus is Lord. The, the only question is when are we going to swallow our foolish pride? Are we going to swallow our foolish pride on that day of judgment before we're cast into hell? 
because we've lived our life guided by pride. Or while we're here on planet earth, or we're going to humble ourselves before God, accept his grace, and let him forgive us and let him save us. It's our choice. It's our choice. Because one day you will relinquish your pride. The only question is when. And I'd beg you, and I'd plead with you to do it now, not then. Because now, he can give you forgiveness, he can give you hope, he can give you joy, he can give you peace. Everything you think you want that you're trying to get as you play God, he will give you that and more when you humble yourself to him and let him be the God of your life. Have you done that? I'm not asking, have you prayed a prayer? I'm not asking, have you been dunked in a pool of water? I'm asking, has there ever been a point where you've truly surrendered your life to Jesus' authority? said, I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I don't want to do it my way anymore. Because you have to do that to be saved. I want you to bow your head. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, our invitation, our our commitment time is very simple this morning. And it's this. If you're here and you've never surrendered your life in humility to Christ's right to rule your life, then I want to ask you today to humble yourself before him. Accept his gift of forgiveness. Give your life to him. And see how much better your life will be. So if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. But his spirit is is speaking to you. And you know that you need him right now. Then then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me right now. And if you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to let him be the God of your life. I encourage you to pray this prayer to him. Dear God. Please forgive me. I've been living life my way. I've tried to be my own God. I've tried to make my own rules. It hadn't worked. Lord, I'm not happy. I know deep down inside something's wrong. And I know it's because I'm rebelling in pride against you. Forgive me. I don't want to live this way anymore. Jesus, I know you love me. You died on the cross for me. You died so that I could be forgiven. You rose so that I could have victory over my pride and over all the other things that were were holding me enslaved. And I'm trusting your death and your resurrection to change me and save me. Come into my life. Take control right here in this moment. I'm drawing a line in the sand. Today, I'm giving it all to you. Thank you for your promise that if you are my Lord, I will be saved. Thank you that I'm saved today. Amen.